Welcome to episode 133 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church, for Christ Church, and for all who would care to listen in. My name is John Payne. I'm the senior minister of Christ Church Presbyterian, uh, and I'm here with my dear friend and fellow church uh, member, Dr. Gabriel Williams. Gabe, so good to be with you again today. It's good being with you. We are uh, here today. It's been a few weeks since we have uh, been able to do our our recording, but it's it's good to be back. And um, uh, Gabe, how are things been going over at the College of Charleston? It's going well. We are in the midst of our midterm exam week for a lot of our students. So the students are... So they're avoiding you in the yeah, halls? Yeah, they're avoiding and... <laughs> You know, no eye contact with us, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> so we're in that part of the year. But uh, all in all, we're, we're trudging along. Spring break is right around the corner. Okay. So a lot of a lot of us and students are pretty happy. Okay. Are you guys going to be able to take a little break with your family? Yeah, a little bit. So we have some things planned at the end of our spring break week with the kids. So... It'll be, it'll be good. We're looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, we just came off of Hans's uh, winter break uh, okay. with Palmetto Christian Academy and had a nice couple of days down in Florida, And but it's always mm-hmm. good to get back to Charleston. We, um, this morning, have a really uh, wonderful topic, uh, an encouraging mm-hmm. topic, and that is uh, the doctrine of adoption. Yes. Uh, not, uh, not the physical adoption, though that's a wonderful topic as well, but what we're talking about this morning is spiritual adoption. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the last few few weeks in my series on Romans, we have been uh, considering uh, what it means to be the children of God. And uh, and so, I wanted to read from Romans 8, um, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, where Paul writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Mm -hmm. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Gabe, let's start by talking about some of the misconceptions, uh, mm. some of the misunderstandings surrounding sonship and being a child of God. In our culture today, uh, not only from uh, errant pastors, but also from politicians, we hear uh, language that we are all children of God mm. and uh, that humanity is spoken of in this way, that, that we are all sort of related to God in the same way, but that's not what the Bible teaches, does it? Not at all, and we can understand why such an idea would appeal to everyone because it would mean that we will all have a unique and special access to God, and it wouldn't matter upon a person's confession of faith or their even devotion to God or the grace of the gospel. But the reality is that the scripture is very clear about this, is that there are two categories of people. You have those, according to Ephesians 2, who are children of wrath, and then you have those who are children of God. And the reality is that when you look at the mass of mankind, apart from the grace of God, we are born children of wrath, as the scriptures say. So we can say confidently that everyone has the image of God stamped upon them at creation. We are all God's creatures, and therefore we owe him obedience. But we know just by our natural human world 
there's a difference between the love you have for a child that you do not really have a relationship with down the street versus the child that you gave birth to and that you've nurtured and loved. Yes, and so so it goes. People will say, uh, yes, I am a child of God, or yes, we are all children of God, but that that sonship is on their own terms, mm-hmm. right? They set the terms rather than God. And of course, we know that's backwards. <laughs> that's backwards. Um, and this really plays into the expressive individualism of our day, mm-hmm. where uh, rather than look to an objective outside source of truth mm-hmm. about reality, <laughs> just mm-hmm. reality, um, they look inside and they say, well, this is how it's going to be on my own terms, even if it's irrational, even if it's unreasonable, even if it makes completely mm-hmm. zero sense, they say, this is my reality or my truth. But we can say that, we can thump our chest as many times as we want and raise our fist and say, this is the way it is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way it is. Exactly, and and part of the confusion of this world is to believe that you can call God your father, yet God himself would have no demands upon who you are as a person. And this goes back to the idea that we are not our own creation. We are God's creation. He made us. We are his. And therefore, if one should claim that God is their father, that means there must be at least at the bare minimum an attempt to have the family resemblance. And part of what the scriptures speak about concerning adoption is that adoption is not separated from the rest of the teaching on salvation. It's those who are justified who are adopted. It is those who are being sanctified and have been set apart for God that are adopted. So this is not a disconnected idea in the scriptures. This is part of that so-called golden chain of redemption in which adoption is a critical part of it. The one who is truly adopted by God is the one who will share in the family resemblance because they are co-heirs of Jesus Christ. Yes, and, and so when we speak of these misconceptions uh, to an understanding of what it means to be a child of God, uh, we're, we're saying this because it's important because it points us back to the gospel. Mm -hmm. God sent his son into the world because he loved the world. God Mm -hmm. so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his son into the world so that we, by grace through faith, would be sons in the Son, sons united to the Son. And the Apostle Paul, uh, from the very beginning of the book of Romans, has been seeking to help the early church and the church throughout the ages to this very day to understand who she is, to help Christians to understand who we are and what our purpose is and um, what our identity is. And so, Paul has been laboring to show not only who we were Mm -hmm. as under the law, as an impossible slave master, as under uh, the slavery of sin, um, a a wicked and horrible master, but set free in Christ Jesus uh, by the Spirit through the gospel. And so, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so, what Paul has been laboring to do is to show these Christians who they were and also now who they are united to Christ. And 
he has been walking through these foundational doctrines. Uh, you mentioned some of them earlier, Gabe, but one of the main ones, of course, uh, after clearly setting forth the universality of the sinfulness uh, of, of mankind, he shows that while uh, the works of the law cannot save us, the work of Christ can. Mm -hmm. And so, rather than put our hope in our faulty works, uh, rather than put our hope in our own uh, righteousness, which is as filthy rags, because our righteousness falls short of God's standard, mm -hmm. God sends His Son into the world to live that perfect life, to die on the cross and to rise from the dead for our salvation. And by grace through faith in Him, then, we are justified. Mm -hmm. Let's talk just for a minute about justification because it does really form uh, an important part of what it means to be sons. And this goes right back to Romans chapter 3 when we hear the universal verdict regarding mankind that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of the law is presented so that everyone's mouth is shut and so we are all held accountable to God. But then we have the great promise of the gospel that there is a righteousness that has been revealed that is apart from the law even though the prophets in the Old Testament testified of it. And this is a righteousness that comes by grace through faith. And this is why when we speak about justification, it cannot be on the basis of works because we are all fallen in Adam. We have already fallen from the glory of God. So therefore, in order to be saved, God must do two things. There must be a righteousness that is revealed apart from standard law keeping that we would have to do. And if we are truly justified by grace through faith, that means someone has to bear the penalty for our imperfect law keeping and our law breaking. And so that's why Romans 3, we see the passage in which it discusses that Jesus Christ has been publicly displayed as a propitiation mm -hmm. for our sins. Is that he, because he bore our sins upon his body, he is the justifier of the righteous and it can also be said because he did truly bear our sins, that means God is just in actually giving and granting us his righteousness. It's not a legal fiction. Exactly. This is truly a work of Christ that has paid the debt of our sins. Mm -hmm. And and we, as Luther says, need an alien righteousness to save us, not, mm -hmm. not, a, not from outer space. Yeah. Uh, what, what that's referring to is a righteousness that's outside of us. Mm. And that righteousness, of course, the only righteousness that can save us is a divine righteousness, mm. is the righteousness of God. And of course, Christ, being the Son of God, is able to give us that righteousness mm. through His perfect life. He obeyed the law for us that in Him we would be forgiven of our sins through His uh, death on the cross and counted as righteous because His righteousness is imputed to us. That's justification. Justification is uh, the, uh, the act of God's free grace, whereby He declares those righteous who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And so, so, so that's glorious, right? That's why in Romans 8.1, Gabe, mm -hmm. uh, Paul 
declares, there is therefore now no, no condemnation. condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But then, as this has been coined, sort of the Holy Spirit chapter, we get into even more good news related to the gospel and to our identity in Christ, that not only are we forgiven of our sins, not only are we uh, made alive in Christ uh, by being united to Him, not only are we declared righteous through faith in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, but we are also adopted as sons. It's like the good news just keeps getting better and better. And all of this is meant to strengthen uh, and nourish our assurance of faith. That's right. That we would live the Christian life in a, in a godly, and a biblical, and a healthy way. There's a, a marvelous picture that uh, can be kind of pieced together when you connect the reality that it is those who are justified by God's grace are the same people who are adopted as sons. So we traditionally think of justification in a legal framework in which you have basically a courtroom, you have a sinner, and you have God himself as the judge. And the reality is that we come before uh, the judge and we know that we are guilty of sins that we could never repay and also sins that we are embarrassed and ashamed that we have committed. And then the beauty of justification is that when the actual gavel is put down, we are declared not guilty because someone else has taken our penalty. But it's more than that because now the courtroom has gone from a judicial verdict. It's now an adoption courtroom. It's now a courtroom in which the judge himself says, now I have taken you out of your former slavery to your sins, in this sense. And instead of being just a orphan without a father, you're now in the courtroom being adopted. Um, and so it's a beautiful picture for those who have adopted uh, children know this picture pretty well. When you have a child that has no parents and you have taken them in as your own, you have invested in them in a sense. And now you have the formal proceeding that says you are now a member of this family. Just take that idea and consider the analogy of the more glorious picture that we have in the gospel where sinners who deserve the wrath of God be poured out upon them are now forgiven, they receive righteousness, and they are now brought into the adoption room as sons of God. Amen. That's a beautiful analogy. Um, in our men's Bible study this morning, uh, as we're working through Knowing Christ um, by Mark Jones, uh, we were reminded uh, this morning in our study of seeing the face of Christ, mm -hmm. seeing His face through faith, this side of heaven, and then seeing his face with our eyes and our new glorified bodies in glory one day. And that's a great and chief motivator for the Christian life. Well, so is our adoption. One of our greatest problems, Gabe, is that we forget our privileges as Christians. We forget who we are. We forget ourselves, as That's it were, right. as those who are united to Christ, are new creatures. And and it's it's when we forget that, when we take our eyes off of Christ and put them on the world, that we begin compromising. And we all know what that is, uh, because we still have remaining sin in us. Uh, well, here, we're wonderfully taught in Romans 8, in this section on adoption, that this is highly linked to our putting to death the deeds of the flesh, mm -hmm. to killing remaining indwelling sin. It's remembering who we are, 
that gives us that assurance of faith that we are kept by God and loved by God and that Christ died for us and that he lives for us, that then we are motivated and encouraged by the Spirit to kill remaining indwelling sin, to not let it grow and fester in our lives. We, we see this as well, and we see this as in the mortification of sin text in Romans 8.13, just prior to the text on adoption, but we also see it in 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. And so, in justification, we are positionally counted as righteous because of the work of Christ, because of our faith in Him. But in Him, we know that we are being sanctified. And so, Christians purify themselves even as they are pure, as they stand united to Christ and received into God's family. We know that in this life, this side of heaven, there is still remaining sin that needs to be dealt with and killed. And that's the process of sanctification. And it's our adoption that actually fuels us and motivates us by the Spirit to do that very thing. And this is what Romans 8 concludes when it speaks about the nature of our salvation, that those whom God has elected from eternity past who are justified by grace through faith in this life, they are elected, they are justified, and they are being sanctified so that they would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, God's very own Son. And the practical means in which we are conformed to the image of Christ is what we just read from Romans 6. We put to death the deeds of the body. We crucify the flesh with its lust so that we die more and more to sin and that we grow more and more in godliness. Amen. I want to conclude this uh, episode by reading from chapter 12 of the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, entitled, Of Adoption. They write, quote, All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for his own Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, mm-hmm. have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Amen. What a glorious definition of adoption, and one that, again, I'll point you to, uh, to read over and meditate on uh, in the coming days. Uh, Also, let's not forget that wonderful term of endearment, Abba, Father. Mm. We were God's enemies, rebels living in sin. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we are saved. And by grace, we are no longer enemies, but we are justified. And not only are we justified by grace through faith, we are sons, Mm. never to be cast off. So, dear believer, 
As you are listening to this, be reminded today of how loved you are, of how God will never allow you to be snatched out of his hand. You are his son. You are a son in the son, united to Jesus. And your place in heaven is as secure as Christ is Mm -hmm. because you are everlastingly united to him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, it's been wonderful to be with you again, our listeners, and uh, we hope you'll join us again next time on Between the Times. <laughs>